Well, welcome back to From the Field. If this is your first time joining us on the podcast, my name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church here in Salt Lake City. I'm also the founder of Telio, uh, which is a care and formation ministry for pastors. My name is Tyler Dravitz. I serve as the executive pastor of Ridgeline Church, and I'm also the president of MyXP. Uh, we're a ministry that provides remote executive pastor support to uh, different churches around the country remotely. And From the Field is a podcast uh, that is for pastors and ministry leaders where uh, Tyler and I discuss all things ministry related from the vantage point of both a lead pastor and an executive pastor because we both bring unique perspectives to to every issue. Today, we're going to be joining this huge conversation that is going on right now surrounding the ongoing issues of racial inequality. And uh, unless you are living in a cave somewhere completely isolated, this seems to be the central conversation point in our culture ever since uh, a black man named George Floyd was killed under the knee of a white police officer on May 25th. Even though Floyd was handcuffed, he was still held down for eight minutes and 46 seconds, despite his cries that he couldn't breathe. He lost consciousness and he eventually died. And since that time, there has rightfully been a public outcry that has reached around the world. So the last thing, uh, I just want to state this at the outset, because um, it might be the elephant in the room, but the last thing I think that anyone needs right now is either of us speaking into this overarching issue with anything resembling expertise. But we, what we do want to do is we want to share primarily with other white pastors and ministry leaders some convictions that we are leaning into right now and trying to live from as we try to walk as individuals and as friends, uh, but also as pastors in our church through this huge issue. So before we jump into the specifics of those, I always like for us to just talk about how we're personally feeling and experiencing whatever the issue is that we're going to discuss. Sure. So, I mean, we've talked about this a lot and at length. So just why don't you start us, talk a little bit about what you're thinking and feeling most frequently right now. Yeah, I mean... I think, of course, everything that happened is just horrible. I'm so thankful that uh, the powers that had the ability to saw fit to arrest the first officer and these other three. I wish it would have happened sooner, um, but I think that that's like uh, appropriate, and I really, really hope that. Um, justice is served in the way that it needs to be, mm -hmm. that there aren't um, extenuating circumstances or things or, or loopholes mm -hmm. or just anything like that. I just really hope that um, it just seems pretty clear what happened. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of evidence towards what happened. But I think um, what we're starting to learn and understand differently about our world is that that doesn't always get mm -hmm. it done. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and so that's hard. I think it's really um, confusing, a, a really confusing time. I think um, I just uh, personally, I feel very, very insecure mm -hmm. about what to say. We had a lot of conversation about um, having this podcast at mm -hmm. all, because I think that we both really want to be in a situation where we are helpful and we... Um, and we are clear, are clear. Yeah. we are conscious about the fact that um, we're not people who are impacted by all of this mm -hmm. directly. And I just, yeah. And so I just, I think that um, 
I think that everyone is taking to different methods. Some people are um, sharing everything they possibly can. Mm-hmm. I haven't shared a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, through my XP, there's a, a black pastor in Detroit that I support. And mm-hmm. very early on, he shared some thoughts. Just he said he had a lot of white pastors reaching out and here are some thoughts. And so mm-hmm. I shared that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but outside of that, I just, I feel very unclear as to um, what I should say. Mm-hmm. I think more than anything, I'm so nervous that I say the wrong thing mm-hmm. out of a heart to be helpful or a heart to be as encouraging as a person can be in this situation. Mm-hmm. I feel very, uh, just very uh, stressed about the fact that like, but what if, what if what I say isn't how I should have said it mm-hmm. or, and, and there are just a lot of things like that, that I, I just don't know. I don't know what to do. Yeah. No, that's good. I appreciate you saying all that too. I feel a handful of things. I think I think one thing that I'm the the longer that this goes on and the more that I dig into what I obviously do believe is a systemic issue with racism in our culture. I think um the more that I do that, the more uh embarrassed that I feel um about having not been more aware earlier on, you know, and I I think I feel regret about that. Um, and, but rather than like wallow and whine in that, I I, I can regret not knowing sooner and then not make Mm -hmm. any excuses for not knowing everything that I can moving forward from this day forward, basically. But I've felt a lot of that just, you know, like this, this is not an issue that came out of nowhere the black community has been speaking out about this for a very long time. And it's, mm. it's not like I just learned about racism and just sure. learned about police brutality and just learned about black lives matter. And I've been open and vocal about, you know, my thoughts about that as long as I can remember, but I am as, as it comes more and more to the forefront of culture and as it becomes more and more of a conversation point, I'm just, I, I'm, I feel regret that I have not been even more involved mm-hmm. than what I have been. Sure. Um, and I think the other thing that I feel is I have really struggled with a lot of anger, um, in both of you are, both you and I are super high justice. Like that's a really mm-hmm. important thing to us. For and sure. I think the more <clears throat> that I lean into and explore the injustice of all this, the more angry that I feel. I've really struggled with anger at either the inability or more than the inability, I think that the unwillingness of many white evangelicals to even acknowledge that there's a problem. Sure. Um, and that's probably all I'm going to say about that. Okay. <laughs> Cause it will just get worse from there. <laughs> sure. Um, but I've, I've really, really, I've struggled with that and had to pray a lot about that and work through that. And yeah, so it's just, and it's overwhelming, I guess would be the third thing I'd say because it is, we've talked a lot about this a lot. It's, it's such a big issue that it feels insurmountable. Where sure. do you even begin to start? How does this actually get solved? And I think that is what systemic problems feel like. Sure. So it's a lot. Yeah. And, um, so again, we're not even really going to speak into the overarching, like the philosophical, issue of this. We're not really going to dive into, there's just, there's way better people for those topics speaking (laughs) into those right now. Um, we're going to call this episode two white guys on race to be ironic because that's not what the world's looking for right now is 
more white people talking about race. Yeah. But there, there are a few things that as we've talked over the last couple of weeks that continue to surface. And so there's three convictions, I would say, that we're trying to live from uh, right now. So I'll just take us into those. The, the first one is, is this. Um, we really deeply believe that pastoral silence has perpetuated this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the books that I'm reading right now is a book called Divided by Faith, and it tracks the history of uh, the relationship between racism and the civil rights issue and evangelicalism mm-hmm. and why that the points at which evangelical has been helpful or the points at which evangelicalism has tried and even though well-intentioned has failed mm. to really move this issue forward toward health. Yeah. And one of the things that is highlighted throughout and one of the things that I continue to see and to read online from especially the black community in general, but black pastors in particular, is the hurt that is felt regarding the fact that so many white people and white pastors have just been silent Mm. and said nothing. And I think that there's probably... It's easy in all of these issues. I feel like everybody wants to like. Here's the one reason for yeah. everything, and the truth is, life is super complicated, and humans yep. are super complicated. So I think there's a lot of reasons why ministry leaders would be silent or quiet on this issue. But when you think about that, ministry leaders remaining quiet about this issue, sure. what would be some reasons or a reason that comes to mind, even just for you personally, on why people might be hesitant to speak out? Yeah. I think part of it is I, I referenced a little bit earlier about how I feel that I think would apply to more people than just me, but it's just a fear around like, what is the right thing to say mm-hmm. and how is the right thing to say it? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and also, you know, ignorance, just not understanding. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's not even a matter of like, um, the right thing to say is cryptic. It's just, you just don't, no, yeah. you know, and you, and you don't understand. I think that um, what happened, you know, just looking at Facebook and things like that, and the number of ministry leaders that we have in common over mm-hmm. years in ministry, um, you know, I think it happened and immediately um, all the white pastors called all the black pastors they knew mm-hmm. and asked, like, what can I do? Mm-hmm. And so then you saw black pastors taping, <laughs> yeah. taking to Facebook saying, stop asking me yeah. what you can do. But I yeah. do, I do feel a little... Uh, stuck. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so like, I want to be helpful, um, but I don't want to badger. I don't mm-hmm. want to m- put on you uh, mm-hmm. just because uh, just because your race is different than me, that it's your job to mm-hmm. have the answers. You may have as few as I do. I don't mm-hmm. know. And I just think that um, there's just a real lack of clarity mm-hmm. around what you know, I agree pastoral silence has perpetuated the problem, Mm -hmm. but if the absence of silence is saying something, Mm -hmm. I think there's a real lack of understanding as to what should be said. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think that that is best case scenario for silence. You know, we both know that there's other reasons that people would be silent as well. And, um, and I can think of, you know, at least a couple, one is, I think one is a real, and especially reading Divided by Faith, there's been a historical pattern of this, Mm. a real fear of losing platform and losing voice 
by offending people on the other side. So if we say something like black lives matter, which Mm -hmm. we both affirm and not the organization, again, there's a need to separate these two things. There's been all of this, like, you know, the black lives matter movement is very socially and culturally and theologically extremely liberal. So Christians are saying like, how can you possibly say black lives matter when the organization stands for all these things that are contrary to God's word? And I think it's, so easy to separate and say, well, just because we do not affirm everything, I didn't even know there was an organization, quite honestly, sure. until like a week ago. What we're affirming is the movement, and I believe the biblical truth that black lives do matter to yeah. God, and they should matter to us. Yeah. But in, in the midst of all of that, I think for fear of offending people who are on the other side and losing like I'm losing giving, losing attendance, losing whatever by standing up on these social issues. I think as a result, a lot of pastors have just chosen to say nothing about it for fear of that. Um, I think another thing that pastors are for, even if they're not afraid to lose, this is something that I have felt, haven't bowed down to it, but I've certainly felt it is just the fear or even the fatigue of the backlash that comes when you do speak out. Yeah. Like I posted something about, I don't even remember. Oh, I think I posted, it's, it's always anytime I post anything critical about President Trump. Mm-hmm. So I had posted something um, about that. And it wasn't even like, I didn't say anything that like he's a, like, I didn't even say anything bad. Just that in a tweet that his tweet had a severe lack of empathy in it, mm. which I believe is, 100% objectively true. Okay. And <laughs> the backlash from it was mind blowing. Sure. Um, that uh, whether or not I should be a pastor was yeah. called into question. Um, how I could be a Christian mm-hmm. and believe and, and, and say anything critical of our current president was like mind blowing to people. And I remember then after that, cause it went on for like two or three days on Facebook cause Facebook is a cesspool of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, then the next week as, as more was coming out and there was more that I wanted to say, I had this check of like, do I really want to deal with this again? And, and I think some of the pastors that maybe have just kind of like poked their head up a little bit and immediately been smacked down by like, angry, mean, white, conservative America mm-hmm. have felt like, well, I'm not doing that again. Yeah. And, and I think so as, again, as a, this complicated array of issues, I think that there has a, been a, an immense amount of silence from sure. white pastors. And I think your point is a super important one and a valid one because there's something to the like James 1, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Yeah. And that's real challenging to live out in our culture because yeah. it's like if you speak out too slow like you see that with companies, like yeah. what took you like 27 minutes to respond to this tweet from your CEO? Sure. And so it's like you, there's just this demand for immediacy in our, yep. in our culture. That's really, really hard. And again, that's like, that might be culturally normative, but biblically there is precedent for us to be quick to listen and slow to speak, to take yeah. our time to really understand before we speak rather than just spout off at the mouth. Mm-hmm. So I think there's wisdom in that. <clears throat> and so I think my only encouragement would be for pastors. Again, I don't think that every pastor needs to post multiple times every single day and flood their feeds with like, that may not be who you are. What we've been encouraging our church in is what we're calling contemplative 
activism, Mm -hmm. that we would sit with God, listen to God, try to understand our unique wirings, each of our own platforms and sphere of influence, and then that we would lead accordingly to how God calls us to lead out. And I think that is going to look different. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that is a fair challenge and criticism from the black community is, but say something. Yeah. Don't be silent. Don't say nothing, but, but you can take your time and mm-hmm. you can be very careful, but say something. Yep. Um, because in saying nothing, we are hurting people created in the image of God that we love and care about and that God loves and care, cares about. Sure. Well, and even looking at the response you got um, on Facebook, it just shows that whether or not it's a hot button issue for you, whether or not it's something that like drives you to um, respond out of anger or anything like that, it's it's a significant issue for so many people. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something else that as I've thought through and just tried to process through in my own, just because uh, I had the opportunity of spending 10 years working for Starbucks. Mm-hmm. And Starbucks did such a great job of just... I mean, they've got a very diverse workforce. Mm-hmm. They, uh, you know, as far as like men succeeding or women succeeding mm-hmm. or the color of your skin, like that was just not relevant. Yeah. And I spent, you know, uh, I'm single uh, as you typically so point out, but I'll, yeah. I'll share this yeah. time. I'm single and I pour myself into my work. And yeah. so I spent a great deal. All of my friends were at Starbucks. Mm-hmm. I spent a great deal of time living in that world. And so for me, I think some of the conversation we've had is just, um, the fact that I can't understand that if you behave that way, like you should just get fired because mm-hmm. I'm telling you mm-hmm. like that wouldn't stand, um, if the right people knew about it. I'm not saying, uh, that a company with a few hundred thousand employees, that's not being experienced by anyone, mm-hmm. but I'm telling you there's mm-hmm. a 1-800 number. Mm-hmm. You call that. Yeah. Like somebody's going to investigate by the end of the day. Yeah. It's just the way that it, and, and so I think that my brain and my understanding of, of these types of things are so deeply influenced by that, that I just feel like this can't be, mm-hmm. and it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And I think just struggling to even wrap my mind and understanding and heart around. And it is, mm-hmm. and that's that, that it's just challenging. It is. Yeah. What we need to figure out is how do you fire people? from right. social media oh, man. or from the country or I got some ideas. <laughs> we will save those for another episode. <laughs> so, so first is just, just this acknowledgement that pastoral silence has perpetuated this problem. And so however God would lead and with whatever voice we've been given, we, we want to say something. Uh, the second thing for us has been um, this reality that just because an issue is political, does not mean it's not also spiritual. Mm-hmm. I think that would be another reason why a lot of evangelicals in general maybe have been quiet about this is because we don't understand the spiritual and theological implications of this issue. Yeah. And as a result, we've just labeled it a political one. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I've, I've always been open about the, like, I'm not super into politics. I don't, other than West Wing, because that's the greatest show greatest in the history of television. Yeah. Um, but I'm not uh, super into politics. I don't put a lot of faith in politics to be like the savior of the world. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't lost uh, an immense amount of sleep ever regarding who the president is, because I just don't, don't look to any political leader to be my messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but... 
I think an area that I have not always thought and led well is, is forgetting that a lot of these political issues are also spiritual ones and, and have spiritual implications as mm-hmm. well. And, and even as I get ready to, to preach this Sunday, I'm preaching 1 Kings 19, and I'm talking about silence and listening to God. But one thing I've found interesting about the end of 1 Kings 19 the context of it is Ahab and Jezebel are uh, ruling the nation of Israel. So those are God's people that mm-hmm. they're providing oversight and care to, and they're horrible, and have led Israel into worship of Baal. So there's a spiritual crisis that's happening in Israel. Um, and Elijah is called up to be with God on Mount Sinai, and then God basically assigns him a mission to go back and to be about bringing spiritual reformation in Israel. And Mm -hmm. it's fascinating to me that there are two things that God tells him to do. The first one is that he's to go back and he's to anoint Jehu as king. The second one is he's supposed to anoint Elisha as his successor. So God's solution to a spiritual problem was both a political one. Mm -hmm. We need a new king. The king is a problem, so we need a new king. And then we're going to need more prophets as well. Mm. And that's been super corrective for me this week to just see that I need to be educated. I need to be informed. I need to be active because God's put me in a country where I have the freedom to vote and to, and I've always voted, but I have the ability to, to influence and inform what happens. And so I think that's just been, that's been really important for me. And I think that's been a reason that some people have been hesitant to say or to post about the Black Lives Matters movement is that, well, that's a political issue. Yes, it is a political issue. And it's a deeply spiritual one. Yeah. Because people matter to God. Sure. That seems pretty basic. So um, just because an issue is political doesn't mean that it's not also spiritual. And then lastly, um, we've been talking a lot about empathy. We've already talked about that a little bit today. Yeah. But um, this is one thing I've been thinking a lot about, but that's that, that empathy will always precede action. Mm-hmm. So I think you know one of the things that everyone's wondering, what should I do, what should I do, what should I do? And I think an important place to start is to make sure that you understand and care. Yeah. I think that's ultimately when empathy is. And so that means it's time to study. Mm. You, you referenced this a few minutes ago, but I, I have received and heard what I think is the rightful and humble correction of many within the, the black community that, that has, is saying to white people, we've been talking about this for a very long time, and it's great that you're becoming aware now, but please don't make us, in addition to having to bear the burden of what this has been and what it is, don't make us now also further educate you sure. when there have been tremendous books written, tremendous documentaries and movies. There is an, an infinite number of resources at our fingertips right now to yep. be able to listen and to learn. And I think in hearing those stories and understanding the details that we have either not seen or ignored for a very long time is where empathy really grows and is Mm. cultivated. So what have you read, seen, heard over the last couple of weeks or even prior to that that has been helpful for you in increasing empathy? Sure. I mean, I think one 
Uh, I know that it's um, very popular right now, but this was a few months ago. Uh, I had the opportunity. Uh, we do uh, at our church, we do something we call meetups. And mm-hmm. so I uh, love going to movies and I started our Sunday night movie club. And so one week we went to Just Mercy. Yeah. And I think uh, it's a really, really great movie. Uh, it's right now being offered for free on like, I think every platform mm-hmm. possible. Um, and uh, I think I just had no idea mm-hmm. that something like that could be. And I think that I'm more and more surprised, you know, even being so interested in the Innocence Project and things like that um, after the movie to go to their website and see what a large law firm that is and how many cases they take on and how many people that they have gotten out of jail. Like, the just don't make sense. I mean, you know, like, for example, I was just watching America's Got Talent and they had uh, on the uh, Mm -hmm. original episode uh, or the number one, the first First episode episode, of the season this year, they had on this gentleman who uh, I think it was 37 years. He was in prison for 37 years. The Innocent Project helped uh, uh, get him off and get Mm -hmm. him out. And he talked about the fact that when he went to jail, there were none of his fingerprints. Mm -hmm. He had three people testify that he mm-hmm. was not there. not there and yet 37 years yeah. and for they the rape to, of a white woman. Yeah. And they come out and, and now test the stuff again mm-hmm. and uh, the fingerprints are linked to a serial rapist. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I can't fathom mm-hmm. the fact that that happens mm-hmm. that, um, that, but I think that um, understanding that, cause I think that, uh, it was helpful for me to watch a movie like Just Mercy uh, to then s- like see this uh, gentleman on the TV show. And mm-hmm. I just think more and more exposure to the reality, uh, like I was sharing earlier, it's hard to wrap your brain around something that uh, is so outside of anything that you've ever seen to be acceptable personally mm-hmm. and to be able to, or to force yourself to be exposed to people who have not had a 1-800 number mm-hmm. to call, I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think one thing that I hear you describing and that I think is such an important part of this is, is not just to understand the history of racism in our country, though I think we need to understand that much more deeply for sure. Yeah. But I think, I think especially at the, at like the gut heart level of like what, what will cause empathy to happen. I think really seeking with an open mind and an open heart to understand the black experience. Sure. For lack of better terms, I guess that what it, what it is to be, black in America and to really listen to that because, and I would say especially, and that's what movies like Just Mercy are really helpful for, but but yeah. I would also say if you are blessed enough to have black friends or friends of color in general, but especially right now in what we're talking about, but specifically black friends, to, um, in a non-burdensome way that does not cause them to relive trauma that they've been through in the past, but to engage them around that, yeah. you know, has been really helpful for me mm. to reach out to people that I do know and to, and to listen. And, and I mean, cause it's, there is something to the fact that I have never met. And this is true of just, well, I'll just speak in the context of pastor friends who are black. I have never talked to a black pastor friend who has not said that there is multiple times in their lives where number one, they've been followed around a store while shopping. 
Mm. And number two, they've been pulled over, though they've broken no law while yeah. driving. And how, like how many times do you have to hear that story before you start to go like, this is not coincidence. Right. This is constant. Sure. And to hear, I think one thing that increases empathy is to, is to experience the pain that someone's been through. Yeah. Uh, at least for me, that's a huge thing that, that helps me. And so to have to enter into that. And I think, I think it is right now. Like I think that there are a lot of us who are really leaning into this in a much deeper way than we ever have before. And, right. and I, I understand that that's uh, emotionally exhausting for a lot of people because the more that you honestly lean into it, the more you realize what a big issue it is, that there's not really like a silver lining. Like it's just, it's not good. Yeah. And I, I've even seen this meme or not. It's a cartoon going around of, uh, it's like, I'm not going to remember exactly what it is, but it's a, a black and a white guy, I think, standing at the foot of a mountain that is like, and at the bottom of it, this mountain, there's a sign that says like, basically this white guy has come to an understanding that there is systemic racism in the country. And, uh, like there's another sign that's pointing to the solution that's at the top of the mountain. And the black guy's like, this is really great that you've figured this out, but we need to keep going. And the white guy's like hunched over, barely able to breathe because he's exhausted at just the, the, what it took to become aware sure. of what the problem is. And so I, I think for those of us in that position, we just have to lean in to the discomfort and just like we have a, 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 an entire race of people that for hundreds of years have been subjected to the reality reality of this we will be okay if we stop binge watching friends for like the seventh <laughs> time and and watch a few very difficult to watch documentaries yeah. or read books that are really uncomfortable for us to read and have conversations that are really uncomfortable to have yeah um, there is something though it's un uncomfortable that's healthy about doing that so, uh, yeah, I've even seen like Netflix is curated like an entire section yep. uh, of movies right now. Um, there are, um, reading lists. I mean, I think everyone's put out a reading list of stuff to read. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would, I mean, I do think one thing, there's a bunch of great content that is online right now, but I think maybe reading less tweets, more books or articles sure. is always a good thing as well. So uh, yeah, so these are the three convictions that uh, we're trying to live from right now. Uh, pastoral silence has perpetuated the problem, so we want to speak up. Um, trying to embrace the fact that just because an issue is political doesn't mean it's not also spiritual. And then empathy will always precede action, so it's time to study deeply and to do that work. Any closing thoughts? Yeah, I think the one thing that I am really... Uh, you know, I know that everyone is just wondering what is it that they can do. And I think that uh, what all of us have the ability to do is to start with our area, mm -hmm. with with what we can influence, with mm -hmm. our leadership. And so if you own a business, mm -hmm. ensure that like that kind of behavior isn't tolerated at your business. Mm -hmm. And if you're a manager at work, ensure that you create an environment where you don't treat people like that mm -hmm. and that people have the ability to like raise their voice and mm -hmm. tell you if they are. Mm -hmm. And and I think that 
to me, one of the ways, uh, not the way, not the mm-hmm. only way, but one of the ways that this can change is that we all together, because pretty soon if everyone is impacting what they can influence, then the political leaders are doing their job and, mm-hmm. and the you know sheriffs and police chiefs and all of those are doing their, and we're all like deciding not to tolerate it mm-hmm. anymore. But I think that um, we all have a, an area of influence, whether it's just your family, whether it's just your friends, whatever, whatever it might be, we all have an area that we can influence. And I think that that's the step that we have to take because mm-hmm. I think that, um, you try to, when I try to think about, but I can't, I can't stop anyone from doing anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, genuinely, I don't even within my XP, I don't even really have employees, so I can't, uh, yeah. force them. our team. I have a team and, um, they're all independent contractors and, mm-hmm. and work on their own. So there's not even treatment really happening. Right. Uh, and so, and so I think about that and I wonder, but I know that, but God's given me influence to the churches that we support. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's given me leadership here at Ridgeline. Mm-hmm. And I know that, that I have some responsibilities here. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so maybe, um, th- you know, a meeting with President Trump is not going to happen in the next couple of weeks, mm-hmm. but I know I can make an impact right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, Tammy and I have been talking about that even just as parents and having conversations with our kids about mm-hmm. it, which is um, awkward yeah. and uncomfortable. And you just always, like all things in parenting, you just kind of always feel like you're doing it wrong. Um, but I completely agree. I think that we all have a responsibility to, to play our part well, and all of our lanes are different. Um, but what matters is that we are doing on our part, our part. And it's interesting. I just saw today, uh, if you're sensitive about language and stuff, I wouldn't recommend that you watch it, but Dave Chappelle, the comedian put Mm. out, uh, like a 27 minute special that he recorded outside. So they just put it up, up on YouTube. Okay. And he's, he talks about this. And one of the things that he's talking about is there's been some media criticism of like, where have some of these, where have some of the celebrities been speaking out about this? And he got named by whoever had was writing this article or whatever news thing it was. And, uh, as he usually does, he did a pretty brilliant job of dismantling that. Sure. But his overarching point was that he's been talking about this issue as a comedian for decades now. And what causes him to be has to be slow to speak out right now is that the streets are speaking out. And he talks about the protests that are happening and that that's happening in all 50 states and in 18 different countries and making this the largest civil rights movement in, in our history, mm. which is amazing. And to your point, do we need to be involved in politics? Do we need the right leadership going forward? Absolutely. And the one person, I don't care who it is in the white house can't fix this problem. It's bigger than that. Um, we need a lot more of that. And I think one of the reasons why, like I keep hearing and I keep thinking like this feels different than stuff that's happened in the past. And I think the reason is because of the number of people who are doing their part to your point even if that part is just small, when we all do it, it's just massive and it's an incredible thing to really be a part of. So yeah, so I think that really is our overarching call is just find a way to practice contemplative activism, listen to God, lift your voice and and do your part. 
So to that end, thanks again for listening uh, to this episode. And uh, as always, if you've enjoyed it, uh, we would love it if you subscribed uh, and left a review, Uh, maybe share this with a friend on social media. We would also love to hear from you, your thoughts about this, unless they are negative and you're going to blow us up on social (laughs) and then just feel free to keep those to yourself. But if you uh, want more information about our ministries, you can visit uh, telio.church and myxp.church. If you want to connect with Tyler and I, you can find me on Instagram at at Ryan Hughley. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. And you can find me at at Tyler Dravitz. That's T-Y-L-E-R-D-R-E-W-I-T-Z. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Until then, thanks for listening and have a great week.